This is a new iPad. Probably a good portion of your life is on that iPad. Is the internet a net positive, in your opinion? I always joke around and say, if I had the power to burn down the internet, I would. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to Fill in the Blanks. Uh, Very special guest today. You probably know him most recently from a Netflix special that we'll talk about here in a few minutes. I'm talking about James McGibney. He is the owner of the site Bullyville.com. If you don't know that site, you need to find it. You need to follow. You need to track what he's doing. He is a cyber security expert who has made it his mission to use his skills to help people victimized by revenge porn, for one thing. He found out about a site that we're going to talk about here in a little bit that was something that I had a lot of passion about because of the way it victimized people that were so innocent and minding their own business. The site was called Is Anyone Up? You may have seen the docuseries on Netflix. I think it was the most hated man on the internet, a guy by the name of Hunter Moore. James devised a plan to shut that all down, and we're going to talk about that and how he does what he does. We're going to talk about Bullyville. He now helps other victims in removing their stolen images from the internet and the dark web. So he knows a lot about things that most of us don't know about and need to know about. And he's going to tell us how to protect ourselves. He's going to tell us how we may be getting exploited when we don't even know it. It's all very important to protect ourselves and protect our children and to kind of see around corners uh, about how we can be vulnerable socially and financially as well on the Internet. So welcome, James. Thank you. Good to sit down and talk to you. Good to see you, yeah. Well, you know, we've worked together on the show before where we had problems to solve in front of us, but we haven't had the opportunity to really have in-depth conversations about what you do and why you do it and how you got into it and all of that. So that's why I said I wanted to schedule something and sit down and talk about all of this. So you actually have a day job, right? Yeah, I'm the senior director of cybersecurity for a multi-billion dollar company. Yeah. And um, yeah, my job is to make sure we don't get hacked. And I've been there for a decade. Listen, my listeners here are a very dedicated group of listeners, and they're very intelligent people. They're very curious people. They have a willingness to learn and apply things they learn. And I know that about them because I've been doing this for a lot of years. I know my core audience, and I want to start talking about some of this, assuming that I know about maybe average what people in my generation know about the internet. I've always said younger people have the knowledge about the internet. I've watched my grandkids, they zip around like crazy. I mean, they just go everywhere. They have the knowledge, but not the wisdom. I feel like I have the wisdom, but not the knowledge. And so I want to up the knowledge curve a little bit. When you say you've worked there for a decade, keeping them from getting hacked, let's define hacked. In cybersecurity, when you say hacked, what do you mean? Yeah, it's a good question. So basically, 
uh, a hacker is trying to get into our secure environment and they're trying to get into our networks, our servers, and our job is to keep them out, but they're coming in for a specific reason. And it's nine out of 10 times it's financial. They want to hack your systems. They want to get into your environment. They want to learn your environment. And then they want to make that financial move to get money out of your account out onto the Bitcoin platform. You and I have worked with some of the average everyday citizen who's not a multi-billion dollar company, but yet they get hacked. I know this because I have friends where it's obvious someone has gotten into their contacts and they start sending messages that look like they're coming from my friend. Yeah, emails being spoofed. And they're coming to me, and I know they're not from them because as soon as I read, I think this is not his vernacular, this is not his syntax. I can tell from looking at it that this is not him, but it says it's coming from him. Right. What is the interest in getting into somebody's contacts? And is that how far they usually get? Yeah. So it all starts with the the human element that's hacking more than anything else is they target one person. So let's say that they target you and they hack your account, they hack your email account, and they look at your sent emails and they look at your address book and they export, they take your entire address book that you have an email and Outlook, for example, Right. and now they have all of your contacts. And then from there, they're going to start reaching out to every one of them saying that they're Dr. Phil. Uh, but for the average person, when they get that email, it's something like, like we saw earlier today on the show about, you know, I need money right away. I, I'm in the hospital. I've been in an accident, whatever it may be. And that's how the hackers start. So they have this huge base to work with, with yours as ground zero. So let's say I get an email from Bobby X. And it's not Bobby X because somebody's gotten into his contacts and sends it to me. If I respond to it, does that give them any access to me? And that's a great question because it depends. So a couple of things happen right there when you respond. Now they have verified that your email address is legitimate. That's for starters. Now what they might do a couple emails later when they respond to you is have a link to something. Hey, I need you to check this out real quick. Would you mind? It's when you click on that link that the real trouble begins because two things will happen. One, most likely you get rerouted to another website that'll ask for your username and password. And you'll think, oh, I just got locked out of my email. I got I logged out. I got to log back in. And a lot of people will log back in. Or what's even worse, when you click on that link, someone now has access to your machine. A very good hacker, once you click on that link, there's a lot of things I now know about you and that machine that I'm getting ready to hack. The first page of a book never tells the full story. And those news alerts and headlines, like the ones we get on our phones, don't even scratch the surface of what the story is really all about. Stories are like people, multi-layered and complex. It takes some digging to find the truth, but when we find it, it can change our world. We like to dig. The news on Merritt Street, essential television. Okay, so if we get a link, somebody sends us a link, and we don't know this person, yeah, and we don't recognize the link, we obviously should not click yeah. on it. You should delete the email, but if you are curious, one thing you can do is you hover your mouse, your pointer of your mouse, uh, onto the link. And when you do that and you don't click on it, you just hover over it, it'll actually show you the link it's actually going to. So if it says Microsoft.com, but when you hover over it, it's a completely different link 
then you know that it's fake. Okay. Now, if we get links and they say HTTP colon, and then there's an address, that's different from if it has an address that says HTTPS right. colon. And that S is significant, right? Yeah, it's SSL. It's the security. It's saying that that site is secure. It has a certificate. I don't want to sound like too much of a nerd here, but uh, basically it is verifying that that site with the S is a secure site. It is far more secure than the HTTP without the S. Okay, so just as a simple rule, if people look for that S, if they have any question at all, if they look for that S, that'll save them trouble a lot of times. A lot, not always, but yeah, a lot of times. A really good hacker will even still use the S, yeah, you know, just for that. But it's you're right for the most part. Yeah, that's not a get out of jail free card, exactly. But that saves them trouble. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, now if somebody gets into somebody's contacts, how do they get in there? So they're in an Outlook, for example. Every time you have a save a contact on your phone, if it syncs with Outlook that contact is now in your email. But furthermore, if you didn't have any contacts, the hacker will just go to your sent folder and they'll just export every sent email you have ever sent to any person and they'll export the addresses that way. Well, but how do they get in there though? It depends on how you were hacked. So if someone, if you clicked on that link, we mentioned earlier, if you click on that link or if someone actually, if you put in your username and password after you clicked on that link, now someone has access to your account. So they can log into your account. And a lot of times, unless you have two-step authentication in place, I'll get to that in a minute, but uh, unless you have two-step authentication in place, you wouldn't know that someone just logged into your account. There's no way you would know unless you looked at a log, for example, which most people wouldn't do. So a lot of this could be done and you would have no idea that the hacker was even there in the first place. They, From a forensic, forensic digital footprint perspective, a good hacker won't leave one. Okay, so Bobby X is just sitting out there, and all of a sudden somebody's into his contacts. Yeah. My question is, how did they get there to begin with? How did they get into him? How did they get to Bobby? Yeah, was yeah. it through somebody else? A lot of times it's hard to tell what the root cause, who was the first hack in that chain of hacks. Uh, a lot of times you never find out. The hacker will be the only one that knows who was first. So Bobby X could have been the first person that was hacked. He could have been the one that clicked on the link, or it could have been... Downstream. But somebody has to click on a link Somebody somewhere. got hacked somewhere. Someone put in their credentials where they shouldn't have put them in. Someone was absolutely hacked. But in order to be hacked, somebody has to enable the hacker. You're right. There's a human intervention that occurs uh, for someone to be able to hack in some instances. Now, the, there's the other side of the fence of a hacker will go on the dark web and they won't have to hack you at all. Some, you know, maybe your credentials were logged, were, you know, put out there from another Verizon or Microsoft, something else was hacked that had your username and password. They go on the dark web, they see that username and password, and they assume that you use that password for all of your accounts. A lot of people do that. They use the same password for 20, 30 different accounts, their banking accounts, their email accounts, and the hacker knows that. So even if I don't have your bank or your email password, I might have it from your LinkedIn profile, for example, and I'll just assume that you use the same password and I'll try and get in that route. So people shouldn't use the same passwords. No. But how do they remember all those passwords? Yeah. And there's a new app, there's Microsoft Authenticator, where you don't even really need a password anymore. It's part of the two-step authentication. But I always tell people, if you insist on keeping 
passwords separate for you know each account, you should put that on a spreadsheet and you should put that spreadsheet in your safe and keep it in your safe. And if that spreadsheet is still sitting on your computer, you delete that spreadsheet. A lot of people will do it by hand, but that is the safest way to make sure that you don't lose your passwords. Never have them online. Well, that's not handy. It's not. <laughs> yeah, it takes it takes time and it's a it's a pain, but it's you know, there's so many ways people are trying to get you on the internet these days. So you want to do anything you possibly can to try and prevent that with the thought being even if one of your accounts was compromised, at least the other 24 aren't. And then you can immediately go and change passwords for everything just to play it real safe. But once you do that, if you've got 10 televisions, you got to log in 10 times. So for the televisions, because those are connected to the wireless network for updates and things like that, um, that would be a little bit different than just your actual everyday accounts. Like, I mean, I've got Netflix on my iPad, a Netflix app. Yeah. I've got Netflix on my TV at home. Yeah. So if I change it on here, I got to then go change it at home too. Yeah, that is true. That's a full-time job. Every three months, I always recommend every 90 days that you change your passwords. Really? Yeah. And I know it's, it's such a pain and I completely am sympathetic towards it, but, uh, you know, it's a lesson you learn once, you know, it might seem like, I can't believe I have to do this every three months. If you get hacked one time, especially if you have a big financial loss, you will definitely start being more cautious. And then what's this authenticator you're talking about where you don't have to have the password? So they have, you know, authenticator apps where you don't, it's passwordless. And you basically get it's the equivalent of a two-step authentication. You get a notification on your you know phone saying, "Hey, is this you trying to log in?" And if you say, "Yep, that's me," you're in. It's a, it's a changing environment. You know, a lot of companies are going to a passwordless environment just for the reasons we're discussing right now, or just like we saw in the show today. Well, maybe that's what I should do. Yeah, I could help you with that. I have a lot of different accounts, yeah, and yeah. apps, and stuff like that. Yeah. So, how did you get involved in all of this? Because I had no friends in high school. This is what you become right here. <laughs> so you were a nerd back in high school? I was a nerd, and then I went into the Marines. I Right out of high school when I was 18, I went to uh, my first duty station was 3rd Surveillance Reconnaissance Intelligence Group. So when I was there, I quickly got moved over to the computer side of the house. And then from there, I went to Marine Security Guard Battalion at Quantico, Virginia, and was responsible for 128 cybersecurity for embassies around the world. So I had 128 embassies that I had to make sure never got hacked. Because can you imagine if an embassy got hacked or all the embassies got hacked and now the hacker knows what time the Marine is changing guard, where's the armory, how many M16, A2 service rifles are there, how many grenades. There's so many things that you can glean if you were to hack an embassy. Oh my God, I can imagine. Yeah. What year did you start first doing this? Because the internet's changed a lot. Yeah, I was in the Marines in 1992. And why I think I got into it was, it is true that in high school, I really didn't have any friends, but I started to get into computers. And the thing with computers is you get out of it exactly what you put into it. There's no disappointment with computers. There's disappointment with people, unfortunately. But whatever I put into that computer, whatever code I put in, I get what I get. And if I made a mistake, it immediately tells me and I fix it and I move on. So there's no human element to it, which I really enjoyed. Well, email wasn't even a big thing yet in 1990. That's right. I mean, they were using email. You could send emails and stuff, but it was still DOS and and all right. Yeah, and the military had their own email system at that time. Yeah, yeah, there was no, you're absolutely right. There was no publicly available, full-blown email system in place. And it was, you know, COBOL was the big language, common object, business-oriented language, nerd stuff. 
you know, and that that things have evolved so much to look where we are today. Uh, it's unbelievable. The internet has just exploded. Yeah, and the power of devices. This yeah. is a new iPad, and they tell um, me it's I, probably a good portion of your life is on that iPad. Yeah, probably so. Yeah, there's way more power in here than we had for the moonshot. Yeah, right. You can yeah. do the moonshot with this. Basically, yeah. Control a multi-billion-dollar company with an iPad. Is this a good thing? Is the internet a net positive, in your opinion? You know, uh, I always joke around and say, if I had the power to burn down the internet, I would. Uh, I, I feel that, it's, but it's just I'm extremely jaded because of the business that I'm in. My job revolves around bad guys all day, every day, and watching them use the internet for the worst possible purposes imaginable. But there's other people who have very pleasant experiences on the internet. They run small businesses off of the internet and they have no problems. But I do see quite an uptick in even the amount of businesses that are getting harassed by customers and it's online and you get bad reviews online and you want to get those reviews removed. And then you find out it's a competitor who's doing this to you and they're doing it online and they're sabotaging your entire business and they're doing it from the comfort of their own home on an iPad probably. What do we do about that? Because, you know, right now, being fairly high profile and knowing high profile people, I've seen people that'll go put hate messages on my social media platforms. And then I'll be talking to friends of mine that are also in the public eye. And there are times when we have seen that somebody will post exactly the same message Cut and paste. on 10 of our emails, just seeing if anybody will take the bait. Yeah. If anybody will respond and get bent out of shape and argue with them or react to them or whatever. And then there are people that will just go on a hate campaign against someone. You get people that will just jump on the bandwagon and not have any idea what's being talked about, yeah. but they'll jump on the bandwagon and start spewing hate and I'm going to come cut your baby out of your stomach and kill your pets. Yeah, And they have no idea what they're even talking about, but they're spewing that kind of language and hatred on somebody's Twitter account or any social media account, and there's no check and balance to that at all. Right. And I think Twitter, you know, I'd be curious to see what happens with Twitter over the next 90 days or so, because, um, you know, if you compare your Instagram experience with your Twitter experience, at least for me personally, it's night and day. I feel that Instagram does a better job at it than Twitter does. I feel like they have better algorithms in place that can automatically go and look for hatred and certain curse words and certain things, a series of words, kill baby, for example. Like you had mentioned, that's a prime example of one that would be gone right away. Um, and then how do, you, how do you stop it? What do you do? Well, um, you have very thick skin, I can imagine, so it probably bounces right off of you. But a lot of people, you know, block, ignore, report. But the problem when you do that is trolls are seasoned. A seasoned troll probably has 50 other accounts. So you go through the headache of getting one suspended, they still have another 49 to use. Does the algorithm, and we can talk about what that means in a minute, but does the algorithm pick up that these accounts have 
zero followers and they've sent 50 messages in a year. Yeah. And does they, it pick up on that? It, it should. I've seen it hit or miss, uh, especially on Twitter. It really does. You know, it's hit or miss. It's very odd. And that's why I'm curious to see what the next 90 days hold, because I think that's Elon's basic premise. I've, I've seen him say it multiple times is that there were a lot of issues related to programming, for example, at Twitter. And I think he's coming in to try and fix that. So that's going to be the first litmus test. Well, I guess we have to talk about where that intersects with free speech. People talk about First Amendment as though they've never read it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really, it right. says nothing about business. Right. It just says that the government will pass no law. Yeah. It doesn't say anything about what a business can or can't do or should or shouldn't do. Yeah. I'm wondering if it's a slippery slope if they start trying to require some of these social media platforms to regulate speech. And of course, they have been regulating speech. They just kind of decide what's okay and what's not. That's right. And, you know, look, as a Marine, I, I would take a bullet for your right to free speech and to say what you want. That's why I joined the service. But there is a limit. So I can give you a personal example. Um, taught, we mentioned earlier Hunter Moore. So Hunter Moore, after took over his site, he called me a pedophile. And he did that on Twitter. And he did that to hundreds of thousands of followers. And just like you'd referenced earlier, other people without knowing anything were amplifying that and retweeting it. And next thing you know, millions of people are seeing this and they're reading it and they're retweeting it. And you feel hopeless. You know, you, I did reach out at the time to Twitter and said, this is insane. Shut this down. They wouldn't do it. And it was you know, basically, well, you're a public figure and people can say whatever they want about you because you're a public figure. Nope. I would not accept that as an answer. I sued him for defamation and won a quarter million dollars. Problem with a lot of these people is you can sue and get a judgment. Then you got to collect. Then you got to collect. Now I'm going to beat him over the head with it until he's dead. Uh, I'm going to chase him, you know, all around the world if I have to with that judgment. Because the plan is whatever I've already, you know, said this publicly, whatever we collect I'm donating 100% of it to battered women shelters throughout the United States, which is important to me. So I'll get that money from him one way or another. Have you collected any of it yet? Not yet. He was in prison. So we couldn't collect it. I wanted to collect it in prison, but even my lawyer's like, damn, that's pretty harsh. But I, I was very serious what he did. Um, but now he's getting back in the swing of things since Netflix has come out. My understanding, he's starting to get some money again. He's working on a new book, supposedly. So you know, I will get that money from him one way or another. Yeah. If he's doing a book, I don't know what kind of advance he's getting or whatever, but you can attach that, right? Oh, yeah. We're going to do a debtor's exam. You know, uh, with the debtor's exam, you get him on camera for eight hours. And besides the monetary aspect, I'm really hoping I can make him cry. Yeah. Calling you a pedophile publicly, anybody, and then others jumping on the bandwagon. And my, you know, my childhood, my past, I'm, you know, I, by the way, I noticed that you do a lot of work with foster care. And I was in the foster care system in New York City uh, back in the 70s. And it was horrific. I was homeless at seven. So, but I saw a lot of really awful things related to pedophilia at all these different foster homes I was in. So for me, it was extremely personal. I think there's nothing worse that you can call someone than a pedophile. Yeah. These are people that have no information about you whatsoever. None. They just see somebody say something and then they go, oh, well, this will be fun. Yep. 
it makes you wonder sometimes if it makes sense to track every single one of them down and hold every single one of them accountable. Yeah, well, you know, my whole tagline is sometimes you have to be a bully to beat a bully. Yeah. And these guys are bullying you online and, you know, sometimes you have to fight back. But you have to know how to fight back. Yeah. You got to know where they're vulnerable, what their currency is, Everyone's what matters got a vulnerability. to them. Everyone's yeah. got some kind of vulnerability. Yeah, you just got to find it. Yeah. Now, for people that don't know, let's talk about this Hunter Moore situation for a minute. And mm -hmm. I know you're probably tired of explaining that situation, no. but he contacted you actually to do security for him, correct? There was, it was actually advertising. So he was, he saw me, I was on Anderson Cooper at the time. He saw me on there and said, okay, let's see if we could do some advertising. And I had never even heard of his anyoneup.com. So I'll never forget the day I went to the site. I couldn't believe it was legal. Uh, right out of the gate, I'm seeing pictures. The very first picture I saw on that site was a girl who was definitely not 18, 17, or even 16. This was a very young girl. And then I kept scrolling down and I'd see other photos. But what really struck me more than the photo, which is horrific, was the comments underneath it. So he would have, he'd post the photo and then his followers would come in and post where she lived, where her parents worked, what her parents' social media accounts were. And their whole goal then was to stalk and harass the entire family. And they would take that photo. Maybe the dad and mom didn't even know that photo existed. And next thing you know, it's everywhere. It's on Facebook. It's everywhere you can imagine. And in a lot of instances, you know, I know of one instance for sure where a girl committed suicide after being on that site. And yeah. I got mad. I was very angry when I saw it. And I, from that very moment, I was like, who the hell runs this site? How is this legal? Who runs it? Where is it located? And how quickly is it going to take me to get this down? And how am I going to do it? Am I going to legally go about it or am I going to go about it a different way? And we now know that he had kind of a core group of followers. I'd never heard of it either until the miniseries or docuseries or whatever it was. I had never heard of it. And then, like you, when I saw the action of the followers in attacking family members or if somebody tried to get the pictures down, they were just psychopathic in their attacks, threats, intimidation of these people. And when we talked earlier, is the internet a good thing or a bad thing? I don't know how those people are in the rest of their lives, because I'm a strong believer in this concept of the keyboard bully. Mm -hmm. I think people will say and do things anonymously on their keyboard that they would never say to someone in an elevator. That's right. Or standing next to them in the line at the grocery store. That's right. But they are cowards. They hide in anonymity and say all of this stuff. But there is a certain level of psychopathy for these people that have no empathy at all right. for the targets. Right. You've got a young girl. And her parents and grandparents and school mates and people that they humiliate her and embarrass her, they don't care. And some of the things they say yeah. about her and how they want to defile these girls. They have a hatred for women and girls in general, obviously, for to do that. It's unbelievable that this is currency for them, that they get a payoff from this. 
surely there are those people in the world without the internet, but I do think it brings that out. I think it brings out the worst in some people. Yeah, that's exactly right. Like you say, you encounter that every day a lot. And when you went after this site, talk about the process you went through to get that site down. Yeah. So the first thing we did was let's see what's going on here. Let's see, uh, you know, and this happened 10 years ago from a statute of limitations standpoint. I think I'm safe here, but. Um, you have to look for vulnerabilities. Is there a way to take this site down one way or another? Could you DDoS this site and you know just hit it with a ton of traffic and so much traffic, you flood it with so much, it just goes down and you keep those lasers pointing, keep hitting it and just keep it down forever. Um, you look for ports that might be open, other ways that you can get in, uh, get the fox in the, ha- in the hen house, for example. Um, you know, I won't disclose uh, how I may or may not have allegedly uh, got in there. But, you know, I can tell you that um, the thought after seeing what I saw, uh, you know, I look for certain keywords like suicide. How many people emailed Hunter Moore saying or posted underneath? I saw victims on his site posting right underneath the photo, please take this down. I'm going to commit suicide. And he would write back LOL. So you knew from that point on, there, this guy has no empathy. He does not care about anyone or anything. But as I was looking at it, I also saw, based off of his traffic, that he didn't have a lot of money. You know, he was touting he was making 25000 a month in, in revenue. I, I know for a fact that was false. So we said, okay, let's, the first step here is let's offer this guy some money. Let's, let's figure out what to pay this guy and see, you know, if he'll take it, if he'll take the bait. Um, but we also had a plan B just to buy in case. The site. Yeah, just to buy the site, take it down. I knew he was desperate for money. You see him online, you'd see him on Twitter. He's doing cocaine off of a woman's backside. He's got cocaine everywhere. That was the main thing with Hunter Moore, uh, was cocaine. Um, so that's not that's not a cheap hobby. You know, that's a very expensive habit from what I can tell. So he was running out of cash. So he said, Okay, we're gonna offer him some money. So we offered him like twelve thousand five hundred dollars. I said, I give you $12,500. I don't want the content of the site because there's pedophilic images on there. I'm not taking that over to Bullyville, um, but I, I want the domain because the domain was getting millions of hits a day. So that just shows you how messed up the internet can be. There were at least 2 million unique visitors going to Zenyone Up every single day to look at fresh content of girls and guys uh, being humiliated online with completely naked images. We make them the offer. He mulls it through, and then he comes back and says, I'll sell it. So, okay. Now, our thought being, this guy's going to try and pull, pull wool over our eyes. We're going to give him the money. We'll wire the money over. He'll give us the site. But then he's probably going to launch a new site with the exact same images that we said we weren't going to take. Sure enough, not even you know a couple weeks later, he comes out on Twitter. He's on a cocaine-induced rampage. He's calling me a pedophile. He's threatening to rape my beautiful wife while my kids are watching, uh, completely out of control, uh, and goes off the deep end. And then simultaneously says he's going to launch another revenge porn site 10 times worse than Is Anyone Up. He was going to launch IsAnyoneUp2.com with the same images. So at this time, I reached out. I have some friends in the hacking group Anonymous, who I'm very close with, who I've worked on other ops with. And uh, we devised plan B to make sure that that site never went live and that those images 
were completely and permanently destroyed. So he thought he kept the content, but if he went to access the content, he would not have been able to. He initially had the content at his disposal and was getting ready to launch that site, and he was hacked, and the site was hacked, and the images were located, they were deleted. He had a backup drive, allegedly, uh, hooked to the server, and that backup drive also had those images. That backup drive was also wiped. And then the site was rerouted, and to this day, it points to my site. Yeah. Hypothetically, whoever did that mm. shut him off from those images. They were no longer available to him. At that point, he is out of business. He's done. He has no library. That's exactly right. His content's gone. When in that process was it determined that he was, in fact, hacking those images instead of getting revenge porn from ex-boyfriends? Yeah. So what was discovered was via email, uh, there was another person who was a hacker who then reached out to Hunter and said, listen, I have all these images for you. Pay me a price and I'll give them to you. And that's exactly what Hunter did because what started to happen with Hunter's site was people were getting disgusted by it. And, you know, there were a lot of people coming at him from a lot of different angles. So he was not getting the same content he was used to getting. There weren't as many uploads, but he still needed content from somewhere to keep people coming back to the site. And this hacker offered him that opportunity and he took it. People were getting disgusted with him for what? I th you know, the public in general was disgusted that he was able to run a site like this, that how is this legal to run a revenge porn site? And it wasn't even that. It was, it was more so about how is he getting all this media attention? He's on Anderson Cooper. He's on all these daytime talk shows discussing this revenge porn site, which ironically, by going on these talk shows, was driving 10 times the amount of traffic to it. That's the thing. I had never heard of it until yeah. the Netflix thing. People had never heard of it till he starts getting called out in the media. That's right. But that's his best advertising. It's the Barbara Streisand effect, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, just pew. Yeah, it just goes crazy. Yeah. All right, so at that point, they get investigated and find out these aren't revenge porn images. These are stolen images. These are hacked images, private images. Yeah, private yeah. images that people have hacked and he's putting up. And that is against the law. Yeah. And that's, you know, the FBI was involved in that point. I know the FBI in LA, I know it was the FBI in Washington, D.C., the cyber crimes unit who I'd been talking to. So they were fully aware of what was going on, but they were also doing it in. And LA. how long did he stay in prison? So he only got two and a half years. You know, and the interesting thing was from the time we ended up shutting the site down, it was years before the FBI and, you know, the case went to court. So. You know, a lot of people said, well, you know, the site was going to get shut down soon anyways with the FBI intervention. Not true. You know, it was two years almost from the time we shut it down to where he went to prison. Um, and, uh, you know, things have changed now. Uh, you know, for that same crime that he did, we probably get a decade at a minimum. When was the site last up? Yeah, it was in April of 2012. And I know this because um, Vice did a short documentary about this whole thing. Um, and it was a 10-year anniversary just past this past April. So 10 years ago, we shut the site down. It's been a decade. So look how far things have come in a decade. Yeah. Are people still doing that kind of thing today? We don't want to name them and yeah, give them I any attention, them here, but, but are yeah, there other sites? The, and a lot of them live on the dark web. And for audience members who aren't aware what the dark web is, the dark web is a, a very small sliver of the actual internet. Let's say about 5%, 5 to 7%. 
Um, but it is the wild, wild west. You know, you need a special browser just to get to the dark web, but you can get anything on the dark web. Look at companies like Silk Road that operated on the dark web. You could order drugs, have it delivered to your house via the dark web. You could hire a hitman. You can go on the dark web even now today in this political environment. And if you're a Republican and you're having an online dispute with a Democrat on social media, there you go on the dark web and you can hire someone to go harass and stalk the person you're having a fight with for a couple grand. They will stalk them online. They will stalk their children online. And in some instances, they will physically stalk them. And if these bad actors can get on the dark web, then so can the FBI and yeah. the county sheriff and other that's people. Right. Do they do that? Do they get on there and track this activity? They do. And that's how they ended up getting Silk Road. You know, the problem is, and God bless law enforcement, you know, I'm a huge supporter of them. Um, you're really limited what you can do. So if someone comes to you and says, my naked images ended up on the dark web, the law enforcement's really limited what they can do. If you even you know, serve a subpoena, you somehow found a server somewhere where you're able to issue a subpoena. Even if you got the results of the subpoena, the chances are pretty good. The IP address information, the location you get is not where that person actually is. They've obfuscated their IP address and they're in another country altogether. So it's a never ending rabbit hole. And that's where Bullyville comes into play. Um, I bypass all of that. You know, once again, I, I believe in what law enforcement does. I wish them all the best, but I can just get past all of that and target that individual server or site on the dark web. You can get to it and then you can interact with the owners of that domain or the domain itself or whatever. Yeah, or, or not interact with them at all and just interact with the server itself. Yeah. Yeah. Hypothetically. Allegedly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One of the things that we deal with all the time is these companies that put up fake ads selling products. They make the representation that Oprah and I have a product or Robin and I have a product or me and any number of people, they pair up, have these products. It's a bait and switch. They say you get this for free, but you have to give us your credit card number, of course. Yeah. We get so many letters from viewers, particularly those on fixed income, that say, well, I'm going to try this. So they do it, and then all of a sudden they're getting billed $78 a month, and they're on fixed income, yeah. or $178 a month, and they can't get it to stop. Right. We try to find the companies. We send cease and desist letters. They close down, move across the street, open back up. Yeah. It's hard as hell to find them. It's hard as hell to track them down. Yeah, and the key is to find the owners. You got to right. find, and those are who you go after. You go after the owners and make sure, you know, at least from our perspective, we want to make sure they know who we are and what we're about to do and give them, you know, the same thing with Hunter Moore. We're going to give you an opportunity to do the right thing. If you don't, you know, you're going to pay the digital consequences. And it's the equivalent of a digital enema that we gave to Hunter and that we give to others that rightly deserve it. Yeah. Sometimes we found that they're as close as San Diego. And other times, Thailand. Yeah. And that's the thing. So, and then even if you go to the police, what are they going to do? How are they going to stop someone in yeah, Thailand? They say, well, it's a civil matter. Yeah. And it's a civil matter. And you go to the courts and when, courts, if you even get it, like you said earlier, cease and desist, you're going to send it to Thailand. That's going to go in the trash can. Yeah. I bet I've sent 
a hundred cease and desist letters. Wow. Think about all the time and energy. Oh. And if you had attorneys that were doing it, how much money was involved in that? Yeah. And and you're still at you know square one. Yeah. And people are still getting sucked in by these people. Yeah. And I hate that. Yeah. Now, how many of the people contact you? Do you guys have a lot of customers who then contact you saying, hey? We do. We help them every way that we can. And we tell them what they need to do to stop it, to call their bank, to do this. Because the banks will stop it. Yeah. If they call their credit card company, they will cancel it. Absolutely. Yep. But most people don't know that. Right. You have some 75-year-old woman out there and they keep hitting her credit card every month. And I say, well, I can't get them to cancel it. Well, you can call Exactly. Visa or Amex and tell them it's fraud. They'll stop it. Exactly. And they might even give you the money back. Sometimes. It depends on what kind of card and all that you have. Yeah. So what's the biggest threat out there right now? We talked about some of these frauds today, but what's the biggest threat out there that people need to be concerned about on the internet? You know. Is there a list? Yeah, I think probably the biggest concern is, is social engineering. So back in the day, it was brute force attacks. It was man against machine, you know, breaking into the networks, getting on the servers with no human interaction at all. It's a lot tougher to hack Microsoft these days to get to someone's email account. However, if I could email you directly via social engineering, that is the human to human element. And that's a lot easier. So I always tell people, you know, be real cautious. Just assume that everyone is out to get you on the internet. And that you, if you go in with that attitude that this is probably something's wrong with this email, for example. Chances are you're right. Your gut instinct is right. Always go with your gut when it comes to cybersecurity. And if people get these emails from the IRS or from Amazon or whatever, and it says IRS, it says Amazon, it says Target or eBay or whatever, and they're not asking for money, they're not asking them to do anything. There's just a link there that they click on. Yeah. How do we get them to know not to do that? And if they're, for example, a regular Amazon customer, so they have a lot of traffic back and forth with Amazon, it's real easy to mix one in there that's phony. Yeah, it's tough. I always tell people just take your time, especially the elderly. I work a lot with the elderly uh, community and um, just take your time, look at the email, you know, and worst case scenario, Forward it, forward that email to everyone. Even Amazon would have a customer support email address where you could forward that to them and say, is this legitimate? And just take your time. There's no rush. There's no rush to click on anything. Um, You know, you're going to be okay. Scammers are getting smarter. They are. Hackers are some, some of the smartest people in the world. And they're getting really sophisticated. Yeah. They have good computers. They have good computer skills. Yep. And... We're just normal consumers. There's a real mismatch here. Oh, it's not fair. That's definitely not fair at all. And that's why, you know, I was looking at that stat earlier of over $1 billion of scams in 2022 uh, from 60-year-olds and older. That, that's a staggering statistic if you think about that. All right. Now, can you remove your personal information from the internet? Somewhat. So there's a lot of aggregators of your information, where you live, your phone number, things like that, where one company feeds 30 other companies online with that information. You can contact like Intellectus, for example, there's a number of them you can contact and tell them you want your information removed and they'll remove it. So there are ways to do it. Um, If it's on the dark web, no. Can't get it off. It's tough. 
I mean, we have way, you know, the average person, no, it would be very difficult to do um, because the problem is, you know, credit, credit reports are the biggest thing. Credit reports and credit card numbers are on the dark web more than anything else to buy those, those two things. Um, you're not getting that removed as the average consumer. And now the hacker has everything about you. So they can do a number of phishing, vishing, whatever it may be, pretexting, whatever it is. Um, they have all that information about you. So when they call you and they say they're from the IRS and they tell you your social security number, you're most likely going to say, okay, well, this is a legitimate call. They have my social security number and they know the last three places I've lived. Little do they know that the hacker got that information off of the dark web. Isn't it safe to say that any legitimate company, whether it's Amazon, eBay, agency like IRS, uh, the state government, mm -hmm. the sheriff's office, the whoever, no legitimate entity is going to call you requiring urgent information for you to release or pay cash in any way at any time that you don't have time to call the mothership and find out if it's right. No matter what they're threatening, yep. we're coming to your house to, to arrest, arrest you, you. Yeah. if you don't pay X within the next 30 minutes to an hour. Yeah. That's a risk you've got to be willing to take, that's right? Because that's just simply not going to happen. That's right. The IRS is a great example. They're going to send you a letter for sure. And in most instances, depending on what it is, it might be a certified letter, uh, right. one you have to sign for. They're not just going to cold call you and say, you owe us $5,000 and you have a half hour to pay it, or are you going to go to jail? You know, but and once again, that's the, that's the issue when they focus on the elderly they don't know of those scams. A lot of them don't know that these scams exist and they've never even, you know, received a phone call from the IRS before. So the fear, that's the thing with hackers. They want to instill fear and emotion. That's that emotion that they want to pull out of you because when you're fearful, you're not always thinking straight. Yeah. But what we've got to say to people is these people can be sophisticated, but it takes your cooperation. Yeah. In most circumstances, you for have them to, to do get something. to you. Yeah, you're going to have to do something. You've got to click on something. That's right. You've got to answer a question. That's you've got right. to do something. Yeah. And if it feels wrong, they need to hang up or hit delete. Yeah, or find someone who's in cybersecurity. There's usually someone in the family or extended family who's in IT or even cybersecurity. And I always tell people, you always want to have one cybersecurity friend in your circle of trust, in your group. And that's who you want to go to. So if you're not sure, instead of reaching out to that company, reach out to someone who you know is in cybersecurity and have them take a quick look. There's something in America called due process. That's right. And nobody is going to come take your money, your property, or your freedom without due process. That's right. So anybody that's calling you on the phone and saying, you pay us X or we're going to do Y is absolutely untrue. Yeah. You are entitled to due process, and you don't have to take that bait. You don't have to do that. Yeah, that's right. I'm worried as we're coming into a dangerous period of time here. We're coming into the holiday season. We're coming into year end, and a mm -hmm. lot of people are on calendar year yep. for taxes and things of that nature. 
So we're coming into a real fertile time for these people to create urgency yeah. and push people to do something. Yeah. It's good that you're doing shows like this. You're getting the word out so people know, especially this time of year, you're doing it in November. So millions yeah. of people are now going to know, look, you know, he makes a good point. I need to be more cautious online. And that's what I want him to hear is, look, if you don't believe what you and I are saying here, mm -hmm. if your emotions are running rampant, all we're saying is make one extra phone call. That's right. Call that person in the family. Call your son. Call your brother. Call the company. Call the bank. Call somebody and say, hey, I've got somebody telling me I have to pay money in the next hour or bad things are going to happen. Is that true? One phone call. And if you ever do it and you ever beat them, the gratification will make you looking for the next one. That's right. And not only that, you're going to spread the word. You're going to tell other people, this person tried to scam me. Here's yeah. what they did. And it gets out on social media and it's a group effort to say the least. And I don't know how they do it, but as I've gone through my text recently, coming up to the midterms, I got so many texts to my telephone number which is what this text is driven by. Mm -hmm. They had my number, number calling me number. somebody else's name yeah. and telling me, hey, listen, Carol, hey, Bob, it's time to do thus and so. And I got so many of them that it was, it was just crazy. Ride share to vote. Uh, all of these things on propositions and stuff. Mm -hmm. I think I counted up 15 of them yeah. the other day at one time. Here's one. Christine, early voting is underway. I'm not Christine, yeah. but they got the number yeah. and they send it. And I guess they were looking for me to click on some link. That's right. Or something. Or to donate money, as they would put it, for a political agenda. Yeah. And, and you're right. That's, it's the worst this time of year, yeah. this year specifically, because of the midterm elections and now Thanksgiving and Christmas, this is the worst time of year uh, for fraudulent activities. And hackers are very busy this time of year. How do these people escape prosecution so well? Are we just that far behind in cyber crimes prosecution? You got to prove it. You got to prove the crime. So, you know, it, and that's the other thing is you have to find that person who actually did it. So I would say on average, from what I see in, in my world, I would say eight to nine out of 10 hackers get away scot-free. And the reason they do it is they have, when that money's transferred, it's going to overseas accounts or, and then it's being immediately, you know, converted into Bitcoin, which is the best money laundering thing on the planet, basically. Because once that money hits Bitcoin, it's gone. And, and, and that's that. And there's no way you're getting it back. And there's no tracing and no tracking. No tracing, no tracking. Once it's gone, it's gone. And you're, you know, then you can move that however you want at that point. But, you know, you're, you feel bad for prosecutors a lot because they'll get the subpoenas, they'll get everything in place. And then the person's overseas and your jurisdiction, the United States jurisdiction in China, for example, uh, good luck. Yeah. Now, who's making this money? Because if you've got somebody that's, scamming an individual, calling and saying, it's your grandson, we've got to have bail money, et cetera, et cetera. 
Are these a bunch of lone wolves, or are they working in a syndicate? Are they in a workroom that's run by someone else? How does this work? I mean, look, I I can tell you that North Korea, I know countries that run off of, of scamming people and ransomware. North Korea's regime, the majority of the money that they receive is from scams that are done here in the United States. They're very good at it. Um, but even individuals, you know, there's a, a crazy phenomenon happening on the dark web right now. So say I want to hack a company, multi-billion dollar company, let's say, and uh, I'm proficient in Linux, but I'm not proficient in Apache, MySQL, PHP, Python, whatever it may be. But I know that I know Linux real well. So I go on the dark web and I crowdsource my hack. And I say, I need this expertise. This is the company I'm going to hit. This is the ransomware I'm going to use. We plan on getting a $2 million, $3 million payday, and I will split it evenly amongst everybody. And this is happening quite a bit now on the dark web where people are gaining together as a conglomerate for the same goal of extorting money out of companies. How about the Nigerian love scams? Oh, I mean, those are all day, every day. You see them, right? And that, that's another example, preying on human emotion, especially someone's feelings and someone who wants to be in love. And, you know, that is uh, one of the worst ones. And a matter of fact, I see more scams happen with that than anything else. Those, those are huge. Well, we've done a lot of them, and I've actually had a few of them talk to me. Yeah. And who knows if they're telling the truth or not. But I've had some tell me off air mm-hmm, of course. that they're in a workroom yeah, and they've got an electronic spreadsheet. I sent this poem to number one, this yeah. poem to number 14 and 67, and they're in different parts of the country. And I've used this picture with this person and this person and this person, and they've got it set up where they don't overlap. Yeah. It's fishing to the end. It's really like you think about fishing, not the pH, but the actual fishing. You have all your lines out there and they have this spreadsheet and they, you know, they target a hundred people simultaneously with the thoughts of even if we get two or 3% of those people and we get $25,000 out of it for a day's work or a couple days work. So some of them drag on, but a very good scammer hacker should be in and out in no more than two weeks on any operation. Yeah. Like I say, I've had them in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah. It's money gone. You'll never see it again. Yeah, either. Some over a million dollars. Yeah. But again, it's over a matter of a few months. And for the bigger ones, it takes time. And, yeah. you know, sometimes it's interesting. I, I've seen one case, I'm thinking in particular, where the woman was doubtful. She was, this doesn't seem right. I'm not sure. You know, she should have went with her gut, but you know, she, her husband had passed away a decade earlier and she wanted to, you know, find love again. So your heart bleeds for those type of cases. And we see the same pattern. It's like from the U.S., my wife has died. I have a daughter. I'm doing construction Mm -hmm. in a foreign country. I have to pay some fees before I can get out. I was stopped at the airport. I've lost my passport. Even had one that said he was hijacked by pirates. They've come up with everything. But I've got several million dollars. I just need money to get home mm-hmm. and marry you. And we live happily ever. I mean, these promises and they send these 
beautiful poems. I love you more than life itself. And, and you're not hearing that from anyone else. So no, you hear you, that and you're going to. You're yeah. a widow and yeah. you're 10 years older than the picture they're sending you of mm-hmm. who they're supposed to be. And you're thinking, wow, how great would this be? Yeah. And it kind of appeals a little bit to their greed in that he's got $20 million when he gets here yeah. and to their ego that someone so attractive is interested in me. Yeah. Common sense is suspended. That's right. Common sense is suspended. It's a good way to put it. It's funny that they'll go months and never see the face or never talk on the phones. Well, his phone's broken. Well, you yeah. sent him a phone. Well, it got broken again. It's just it's heartbreaking. It is. To see it happen. On the flip side, it's really enjoyable when you can go after someone like that that's preying on innocent women and really teach them a lesson to where they might even think twice about ever touching a computer ever again. Yeah, that's a good feeling. It's the best. Yeah, it's the best. Well, I hope people are hearing us. I hope they listen. Just Take that extra beat, take that pause, Mm -hmm. make that phone call, and protect yourself. Because if you get burned, and I hear you, passwords need to change or use the, uh, what do you call it? Two-step authentication, Microsoft Authenticator app, where you can not have passwords. Well, I've got two-step authentication on everything, but I don't have the Microsoft Authenticator app. Yeah, I can show you how to. Well, I'll get that. Yes, sir. Microsoft's getting a free plug today. You're welcome, Microsoft. Yes, you're welcome. <laughs> they do advertise with us. Oh, so there you go. <laughs> they owe me for this one. <laughs> yes, they do. But whatever to protect, it's like you say, you only got to get burned once. That's right. You feel violated. I see these women that I was saying earlier, they work 40 years and build up a nest egg to retire on and it's gone in 30 days. Yeah. And you can't get it back. And you always think, well, law enforcement will help. I'm sure they'll help. And They want to help, but they can't help. I thank you for taking the time to talk about this and enlighten people about this. Use two-step authentication. I do. It's a little bit of a pain. You just get a text, and you have to put in a six-digit code, but it takes like 10 seconds. Yep, and and then it verifies it's you, and then you're good. Yep. And listen, thank you for what you're doing in helping these women that are getting ripped off with this revenge porn and that sort of thing. You saved a lot of people, a lot of heartache, and saved some lives when you took down that website. Thank you. And I'm sure it's not the last. No. You got to feel like, hey, that was a good day's work. Absolutely. It may take months to do and a lot of time and effort and energy, but people are helpless unless you step up and do it. Sometimes vigilanteism isn't the worst thing out there, you know, when it's done correctly, of course. Yeah, I mean, exactly. It's be a real when it's purpose, done correctly. You know, and Legally, in some instances. Yeah. <laughs> Certainly on the fringe. On the fringe. Yeah. They get what's coming to them, but a lot of people are very thankful. And I'm thankful that you're here, and I hope you'll come back and help Absolutely. us further on these, because we just keep getting people that are victimized by this. Yeah. And all we can do is fight back and continue to teach people and raise awareness. You got a strong voice. I mean, you get it out there. Well, I learn stuff every time I talk to you. So thank you. I appreciate it. Guys, thanks for listening today. Take care of yourself going into the holidays with all of this stuff. We'll keep you posted on any new scams we hear about, even if it's just a short 
little blast. Because when something new pops up on the horizon, tell me and we'll jump on and we'll tell people about it. Absolutely. All right. We're out of here. Thanks. Thanks.